Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. Joining you for the first time here in 2024, and we have many, many things to talk about. Joining me, my name's Justin Lee, as Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Greetings, gentlemen. Good afternoon and happy new year. Happy new year. It is the 4th. Yeah, today's the 4th of February, right? Okay. Perfect. So we're recording this, obviously, in between um, the Lions' last game and the Super Bowl, uh, the very crucial Pro Bowl week, the flag football game going on. Um, But we're committed to bringing you great commentary on sports, so we will not be watching the skills competition right now. Actually, I don't even know what time it's on. Instead, we'll be talking quite a bit about local sports, as we always do. As I said, many, many things to talk about. We're going to talk Oakland University as former Golden Grizzlies, or perhaps more accurately, Adam and I are former Pioneers. We're going to talk about, um, obviously, the the Wolverines, the national championship. We absolutely need to talk about the Lions season, talk about the Tigers offseason, which is becoming much more interesting and topical these days. And we may very well touch on the Wings, and uh, the very exciting Detroit Pistons as well. So that's the roadmap for this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. And as we often do, we will start with Oakland University men's basketball. And uh, would I be wrong? Well, probably the answer is yes, usually. But would I be wrong if I said that this OU team is basically the team we've been looking for for the last X number of years in saying, like, not only are they winning, which is winning is good, 10-3 and three in the conference, 15-9 and nine overall, with some nice wins. I mean, the win over Xavier, et cetera. And they've been winning like crazy of late, but they actually can play more than six people, <laughs> um, typically eight or nine on any given night. Um, and... Trey Townsend has lived up to what I think we always thought his capacity was, which was to be a dominating player. Uh, Chris Conway has made great strides. Um, Blake Blattman ate a sandwich. I mean, like, like there's so much good going on here. It's, it's a little shocking. Like I, I don't, I don't anticipate good things happening. I, my my takeaway for for this team this this edition is I'm I'm more hopeful about what they can do down the line um, because of the fact that as you and we've talked about it many times when we've done the show right is that, that when you go six deep you're just going to fade because actually at this point in the season for a couple of times in the last couple of, you know few years we felt pretty good. But because of that lack of depth, there was the uh, the anticipation of something really good in March has been pretty muted. Uh, and now that they're again, they're playing a, a much deeper into their roster, uh, you can feel confident that they are going to um, hopefully be, be able to execute when they get to the conference tournament. Yeah, the depth there uh, in ways that it hasn't been before, but there's a couple. He changes, and I think how Campy's managed this team. 
Uh, and not that he's terribly conventional, because he isn't. I don't want to put him in that box. I think he's always done whatever he's felt he's needed to do. But I think the decision in um, in pieces to take Jack Golke and Rocket Watts off the bench consistently has dramatically changed this team. Uh, and really relying on Isaiah Jones and DQ Cole, um, even though they are not the producers that those two other gentlemen are that I named, their length and their defense provides, and their their ability to chew up minutes provides a completely different look for this team. And so, not only is the depth there, how he's using the depth is very different, because he's now confident between Chris Conway and Blake Lampman and and Trey Townsend, he's got enough offense. He can get by with those three guys on the floor, especially now that Lampman's fully healthy and he's surging, that he can bring those guys off the bench, and you know. And he's got a couple of other projects that he's worked into the lineup here and there too. So it's not just that the depth is there is how he's using it. And um, you knew the last, I would even say the last six years, you knew exactly who was going to be on the floor in the last eight minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. You knew now you don't uh, in a good way. Uh, you know, rocket Watts is a guy who can find himself on the bench until there's two minutes left. And then you can see him come in, and you'll make a couple lockdown defensive plays as he has a couple times twice this year and secured wins for them. So, you know, they're throwing a lot of different angles um, at the teams in the Horizon League, and they're just they're just good. You don't – I always felt that the Oakland teams of the past, even ones that were more talented than some of the others, they were always – they always seemed like they had these shaky leg moments where they were just right on the cusp of getting knocked out. And, you know, they've had a couple bad games this year, but this team seems much more stable than some of the teams in the past. And I think that's reflected in their body of work over the season, because I looked at their schedule, you know, I, well, and I watch most, if not all of the games each year, but aside from conference losses, they had one singular, one bad non-conference loss. And that was Toledo at home by a point. They probably should have won that game. You know, some of the conference losses, not great either, but you're not going to go undefeated in the conference. That's unlikely. And then, but if you look at the rest of their non-conference schedule, Ohio State, Illinois, Drake is 18-5. and five. Dayton is top, one of the top 20 teams in the country. I mean, Michigan State, like, their out-of-conference schedule was loaded. They were competitive in many of those games. So, you know, it's a much more distributed team. You think of the teams that have made, last made these big runs, the Kay Felder teams and then even the Keto Benson teams. Like, this team's deep, you know. I guess my question to both of you is if they don't make the NCAA tournament, is it a failure? Should it be an expectation with this team? Well, let's be honest. Green Bay is pretty good, right? And they're, they're tied for first at this point. They did play at Green Bay uh, earlier in the season and lost, but then they won at home. The one takeaway I have, and I'll, I'll be very curious to see how they execute the rest of the season because it was a little bit of a road gauntlet. You know, they got uh, four more games on the road. Saying that, in the past, another difference with this team versus you in, in, uh, teams in the past is that, I, I mean, the teams in the past did not perform very well on the road. That, 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 and, and this team, they're winning games on the road, right? And they're winning conference games on the road. And I just think that that's, you know, whether it be IUPUI, uh, whether it be uh, at, uh, me, at Youngstown State, um, you know, and then they had uh, the, the win at Milwaukee uh, in, in, in overtime. And the, those are games that they just, they couldn't get out of their own way uh, in those particular games. And I guess 
but to specifically answer your, your question, uh, Brandon, and, and I kind of said it, with Green Bay being as good as they are, I'm, if they get to the final game of the conference tournament and they lose to Green Bay, okay, I, I, I can understand that, right? Um, but to your point, I have much more of an expectation as of today than in past years that they can maybe get to the tournament. So, and, and I would answer the question the exact same way is that I think they have to go to the final game of the horizon. Um, anything less is a failure, but if they do happen to lose to a really good Green Bay team, it is what it is, right? Uh, that'll happen. But this team needs to play a few games in the Horizon League tournament. They they need to they need to do something like that, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it. Because anything less than that is a waste. Because this they've had a really really good season. A um, little bit of an uphill climb over the next few days. Uh, their next three games are all on the road. Uh, before they come back home for uh, three out of their last four, including a final game against the very woeful Detroit Mercy team, who I feel very bad for. But yeah, I think the one thing I'll 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 just close with: I do think it will be a disappointment. Um, I I don't think Green Bay is that good. Um, they and I'll go. You know, everyone values these things differently, but I'll go wonk a little bit. Green Bay is between an average of 50 to 70 points lower in aggregate net rankings. Ken Palm net rankings. Green Bay is in like the 180s. Oakland's around 140. Uh, a lot of that does have to do with strength of schedule and things of that nature. I, I don't think Oakland's like, I don't think it's a dramatic disaster defeat or whatever if they lose to Green Bay or or even Purdue Fort Wayne or any of these other teams. Like there's, there's good basketball teams in the Horizon League. I, I just don't. I look at Green Bay. I look at Oakland's roster. You know, to me, Trey Townsend could be a starter on an NCAA tournament team next year, and he may go ahead and do that, right? I mean, they've got some serious pieces. They've got Rocket Watts, a former Power 5 player who's coming off the bench. They have the former, you know, D2 leading scorer and Jack Golke coming off the bench. You know, they've got some pieces. And, you know, I, I don't think – I think they match up quite favorably with anyone else in the league. So I actually do – I will be disappointed. I won't think it's a collapse or anything, but I will be disappointed if they don't make it. And and the and, last and, thing I'll just say is uh, in Joel Lenardi's last bracketology, um, when Oakland was in first place, they were put on the 14 seed. Green Bay is currently on the 16 seed. Interesting. That is how Oakland is valued nationally in terms of – aggregate rankings and strength of schedule and things of that nature. Yeah, I I, I saw that as well. And I, that's my takeaway is I think the the more national perspective is that, that, you know, Oakland is the team to beat. And you do wonder if they, you know, if they continue doing what they've been doing, which is just, I mean, really what they've done in the conference is really remarkable if you really yeah. think about it. Um, especially, you know, we talk about, you know, just kind of going back to our original conversation. I mean, I, I, uh, for the season, I really thought that this this team was in, in this program was a bit of a crossroads. I, I was not really sure, you know, how much longer it just it just seemed like Coach Campy was just not necessarily getting the job done. And I'm I'm, I'm not here to lay out anyone in their job because I'm not gonna. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of things I don't know, especially how challenging a program like this could be. But um, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll just say in general, though, is that I've just really 
very, very pleased to see the progress that has been made this season. And uh, hopefully if they continue winning and doing what they're doing, maybe they can squeak into a, a you know, that vaunted 12 seat, which is, you know, a lot of possibilities can, can come if you get into the 12 seat. So um, we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. I, I think if they find their way onto a 13 seed, 14 seed, I think 12 is probably a stretch. I just don't think they can accumulate. And they'd have to basically run the table in my mind. Uh, but a 14 seed, even or a 13 seed, that's a winnable basketball game for them. Yeah, a 15 yeah, or a 16, it's pretty long odds. So, but I think right. they're capable. They're capable. Okay. No, no, agreed. Agreed. So, we'll obviously, we'll be keeping a very close eye on that. Seven games left in the season uh, before we get to the Horizon League tournament, and um, keep our fingers crossed and look forward to some good basketball. Um, speaking of good basketball, um, do you wish to talk at all about any of the other Michigan college, um, basketball teams? I'll just do I'll hot take number, number two is Oakland's the second best basketball team in the state. Interesting. I, I think they beat U of M more times than they lose, frankly. I, I mean, that, that, that thing's a disaster. Dumpster fire being hit with rockets and blowing up and flipping over backwards and just disaster. (laughs) You know, it's remarkably bad. I mean, especially for everything that the, the expectation and, and all the potential that was referred to um, (laughs) when Juwan Howard came in to take over the program. And, you know, it really isn't an indictment when you think about it too, because the, uh, you know, this program actually performed pretty good when he was not available to coach. He, you know, had the, uh, he was on medical due to a heart issue. Um, it was a Phil Martelli, is that the, the uh, assistant coach's name? And I mean, really the question becomes, I mean, at some point you, you've got to do something because the, the, the Michigan program is, it just seems like a complete free ball with absolutely no floor underneath it. You go out to East Lansing, I don't, I, I think, you know, you go back to the conversation that we had about Coach Campion, just was there a, a potential of, of you know, him not, you know, being able to proceed, if you will, with the program? Was there a potential that there was a change that would have to take place? Which, in the end, we, we know nothing's going to happen until he decides that we will retire. Tom Izzo is another one where, you know, all the potential you hear about, uh, you know, we, you know, I got told by multiple Spartan fans going into 2020 because of COVID. Oh my God, we got a job because we, that was going to be our year with Cassius and whatever, which of course I go back and go, this team hasn't done anything in the tournament in, in about a decade. It's very difficult for me to believe that all of a sudden this spontaneous combustion was going to take place the, that year. And I feel more and more, verified that that my my opinion on that program is, and, and Tom said again Tom is a Hall of Fame guy Hall of Fame coach Hall of Fame person but I, I just wonder whether or not that could another program that we should really kind of investigate or, or whatever but again it's not going to happen because you're not going to get rid of a legend like Tom so, so. yeah it's a, it's a lazy comparison but I'm going to make it anyways you know <laughs> Where, where the Spartans are feels a little bit like some of the middle years of Jim Harbaugh's era. Um, you know, what you start to see from Spartan fans is just an acceptance that they're going to go on the road and lose to ranked teams. 
like they've just accepted that that's now a reality, much like U of M for many years accepted that Ohio State was an automatic L. And that if Penn State happened to have a good team one year and they were playing on the road, that they would just lose those games. You know, you saw very little uproar when, you know, Michigan State lost to Wisconsin on the road. It was maybe a week ago or two weeks ago. And I was just like, yep, Wisconsin's much better. Like, I mean, this is this is the pride, the blue blood pride of the Big Ten that is now relegated to being an average, slightly above the bubble team, you know, um, which is what I think they'll be again. You know, they have flirted with the bubble recently. I think they'll be, unless they collapse, will be in this year. But that's all they are now. They're a, they're a nine or ten win football team. And that's just what it is. And, you know... They they brought in the best recruiting class they've had in God knows how long. Those guys, some of those guys barely play, uh, you know. And that's another time is always you know uh, a mon- thing that you know I used to you know bench Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, outstanding NBA player now. I used to bench him all the time, right? And when he was a freshman, <laughs> like, it's just who Tom <laughs> is. And I just it, yeah, I, I look at this really program bad. and I go, if they have a good run, they get to the Sweet Sixteen, like. Eh. Like, and that's just all there is. And that's just, you know, that's a very different place, even from 2019, 2020, 2018, right? When the, when they, you know, beat Zion, the Zion Williams and, you know, led Duke team, right? Like, I mean, just had that in them still, you know, uh, even in those three or four years, just a very different program. And this is a senior laden team mixed with, you know, guys that were top 10 in the recruiting class. And so, and it's just, you know, they're 14 and eight and, blah you know yeah. they win the games at home they should win they go on the road and lose pretty easily to the teams that you'd expect them to you know and that's just that's just where it is so question is, is does he have you know uh some kind of formula uh you know left in his bag that he's going to pull out in these last couple of years or you know connor stallions or whatever becomes available i don't know um so so right now, uh, Bracketology has them as an eight seed, <clears throat> which, I mean, you don't usually see them quite that low, and no Michigan. I mean, this, this is a very much change of pace for us. Well, yeah, Michigan's having a terrible year. I, I but... don't know if they created another 64-team field that Michigan would be in the tournament. <laughs> they could create a whole separate tournament, and I don't know that Michigan would make it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, it's not a great, uh, great state of affairs for, uh, college basketball. However, in, in Michigan, however, college football in Michigan is a little bit different story. At least if you ignore Michigan state, that's still a, a flaming dumpster fire, but rarely can you say in college football that your team won a national championship it is a rare honor and obviously there's a lot of wolverine fans out there right now who uh who should be pretty happy given given this season which was fraught with all kinds of fun things um somehow they uh found a way to get it done and and proved that they were a legitimate football team and it's not just the sec and blah 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 blah, and I, and I had to say to to many of the Wolverines fans that I spoke to, it was very much an us versus them mentality, you know, down with the man and um, with the conference, and 
you know, we overcame adversity and everybody doubted us. And I mean, that doesn't, I mean, that's in sports, that's the story you want to tell, right? Like that is exactly the story, but you know what? They got the job done and they went out and they won and good for them. So lots to talk about here. I don't know if you want to just recap the, the, the journey in the BCS there uh, before we really get into the next steps, which I think is pretty interesting as well. I would not want anyone but Brandon to go over those steps. So, I mean, it was self-created adversity, right? I mean, I'm not, you know, there's no no reason to hide from that. No question. Um, everything that happened to them, they caused, or elements of the program caused. Um, it, but these the end result effect is the same, which is that team was incredibly unified. You know, forget what the fans say or whatever, but that team on the field was incredibly unified and had a spine, you know, in ways that Michigan teams in the past did not. Michigan teams of the past, even the good ones, you know, losing a squeaker against Ohio State years back, blowing a late game lead to Florida State in a bowl in the same year, you know, they, the Michigan State game, you know, like, you know, this is a team that got rolled in tough moments, uh, you know, got blown up by Georgia a couple years ago, choked against TCU last year. This was a team that had a different look to it. And, you know, I, one of the plays for me that, really cemented that was um, the touchdown that Blake Corum ran against Ohio State, the play after the best player on their team destroyed his leg. You know, Zach Zinter had an injury that they wouldn't even show on TV, right? Probably the best player on their team. Um, and the next play they run for, a, you know, a 25-yard touchdown. You know, I mean, that's, that's a, you know, that's a sign of resilience. So, you know, as far as the steps to get there, right? I mean, to me, the validating win was against Alabama, not against Washington. Uh, that was the bigger win, I think, for that program uh, and more of a validation, frankly. Uh, I think Washington was a very good football team and capable of beating U of M. But I think beating that SEC team, uh, being more physical than an SEC team, they beat the hell out of Alabama, in particular the quarterback. They dominated on the line, right? You know, I think that was a more validating win. And then they, you know, took care of business against Washington, who, you know, maybe didn't deserve to be there, but, you know, they, they did what they had to do. They were undefeated. Adam put in the show notes, they managed to beat a team that most people thought, myself included, was superior twice, which is Oregon. You know, and so kudos to them. I, I don't know where this is going. The program, like, we can talk about that, you know, and Adam, if, if what you think about the Shrone Moore hire, but, you know, they just, they took care of business. They were a really good football team. Like, it's just a really, really good football team, so... You know, you got wonky earlier. The one thing I think I would say is that I, I you're absolutely correct. That this was a, a very, very good Michigan team. Um, and, and they seemed to be mentally in the game at all times. And they understood the risk of the losing, right? I don't think they, they did not have that mentality last year against TCU, right? And, 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 it, and, and that's how they ended up. They, they were not, uh, this is a team humbled and wanted to cover all the details along the way. From a Milwaukee standpoint, I think they were a little bit on the fortunate side that, you know, because I I mean, this team still does not beat the Georgia team from the past couple of years. I think they're extremely competitive against Georgia. The this year's Georgia team would be very, you know, Michigan would be extremely competitive against them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're fortunate. They're very fortunate that Oregon wasn't there. I still am absolutely have no clue how Washington won against Oregon. And, but I think maybe Oregon 
was in a similar spot as Michigan was last year in that TCU game, where I, I think they, they didn't understand all the all their potential weaknesses. And as a result, they didn't cover them. And of course, Washington and, and Labor did an absolutely uh, 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 fantastic job of, of getting past there. First, Sharon Moore, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know. The, the Michigan fan base continues always to amaze me because uh, I, I hear very various opinions. And one of the prevailing ones is no, no, you got to go out. You got to hire the best guy for the Michigan program. I think. In my mind, Sharon Moore is the best hire for this particular program at this point in time. Um, I don't think, and especially we talked about Michigan basketball earlier, I, I think the, uh, the, the, the perception amongst the, the college sports is that Michigan is a real mess right now. Warren Manuel is absolutely awful at his job. Uh, the, the administration as a whole is, is not great. Uh, I I think Sharon Moore was the best option that Michigan had at this point, and that was the they, they absolutely had to bring him in, and hopefully he can. They're not going to go out and win a national championship next year. Let's be abundantly real here, right? But if you can get this program, you can get 10, 11 wins. They should be able to get ten, eleven wins. But that the, the only guy that's going to be able to really do that without a whole bunch of other people is going to be Sharon Moore, and and they did their job. And I, it is the best hire in my mind for the time. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. You know, it. I think what the Michigan fan base is going to have to grapple with is, are they okay with some of the the road bumps that are going to come this year? Ohio State's gone all in. Ohio State's gone insane. You know, they have raised thirteen million dollars for their NIL fund. They have maybe even to a fault overloaded on talent. You know, because glue is important. It isn't just about fielding the absolute, you know, most talented group of guys are going to have a lot of upheaval. That was one thing that Michigan really benefited from is that while they did bring in a lot of transfers over the years, the core of the team that won them a title was intact for many years prior to, and Ohio State will not have that, new, another new quarterback. But are they going to be okay with, yeah, they probably are going to lose to Ohio State next year. You know, in Columbus, Ohio State back against the wall. Ryan Day will be fired if he loses that game, right? Can they get over the road bumps of, the new teams coming into the Big Ten, I think they're fortunate again that Washington imploded. Don't have to worry about that quite so much anymore. But Oregon's going to be around. I mean, you know, they're going to have a tougher schedule next year. So if Michigan fan can get through what could be an up and down year, the one with the expansion of the playoffs, they're still perfectly capable of making that playoff, I think. They'll have a shot. Uh, then I think Sharon Moore is the right hire. But if they start getting antsy because things aren't perfect out of the gate, then then I think it's going to be tougher. But I think Adam makes the bigger point, which is that they're lucky to have Sharon Moore because I would have absolutely no confidence in their ability to search and hire a coach for either football <laughs> or basketball at this point. None at all. I think it's also worth noting that when you talk about road bumps coming is the fact that Michigan did officially get served with a violations letter uh, back in January and word on the street is that they have acknowledged to the NCAA some of the violations as being true. Uh, and obviously, we, we of course, had the, the sign-stealing thing that came out in October, which is part of it. But also, um, they had having coaches on the – analysts on the field in a coaching capacity as a violation of the rules. 
uh, coaches watching players over video. So some of these are, are COVID related that Michigan had contact with players during a COVID blackout period, um, things like that. Um, now, the bigger allegation is that Harbaugh intentionally misled investigators, which they deny. And it'll be interesting to see to see with him running off, which was this was, I mean, an extraordinarily smart move on his part to leave the program at this time, and you know, obviously take over with the Chargers. You know, is the NCAA going to really take, if, if, even if they find Harbaugh guilty, are they really going to take action against Michigan? I think the answer is no. They're going to get slapped around for the level two violations. So th- there will be some, you know, scholarships or whatever else. There'll be some kind of penalty to Michigan. Uh, and there will continue to be, you know, the winds swirling about it. But Harbaugh picked a really good time to leave, which I think will save them some heartache but there is still some heartache on the way so i i, I don't i don't think any much is going to come of it i think that when harbaugh left um both the literal and figurative purpose of what the ncaa was trying to accomplish leaves with him um you know a, a lot of i, I mean if people actually understood at one point at, at any given point in time, how many power five programs are under investigation. It's fair. Florida state, Tennessee. I mean, I could just list off how many programs right now are going through some variation of this Colorado. Like, I mean, it's just, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. The science ceiling stuff to me, ele- escalated a little bit. I think it's a widely done practice, but they got caught and they're guilty and they should be punished. But I think the loss but- of institutional control will not be proven. And that's ultimately when you start talking about, banners being taken down and things of that nature happening. I just, you know, they lose a couple scholarships, maybe. I don't know. I just, I think there was a little bit of a witch hunt against Harbaugh too, that he entirely brought on himself. Um, But the NCAA does not like Jim Harbaugh. And that's a part of this too. I, and and, and, and I think the, the, the most important thing from my standpoint is this Michigan, the, the perception that has continuing to be, uh, pushed out there somehow. Michigan is the only program that is somehow doing all these things. And the crazy thing to me is that it couldn't be farther from the truth. What Michigan is guilty of, and we talked about it on the last show, is not that what what they've done. The fact is, is that they didn't do anything to hide it, and they were blatant about it. Right? Everybody's doing something of the nature of everything that they've done. But they just said, you know what? We're, we're going to pick it up a notch. And guess what? We're going to flaunt it, and you can come over and do whatever you want, but we're going to continue doing it until, you know, until someone says something. And that, to me, that's more of what's happening. And and I, I would have been interested to see what happens it happened if Jim Harbaugh were to stay, because I, I really don't believe in my heart of heart that the NCAA was going to do much more than a slap on the wrist regardless. And to your point, yeah, I mean, the, the Jim Harbaugh does not love the NCAA, and, and it's the same vice versa, the same the other way, right? But I, I just don't. I think the NCAA knows they can only do so much, knowing that if they start litigating this, they're going to have to litigate everything under the sun at that point. And I, I they have no interest in doing it. And that's a fair point. It, it really is, and it, it it goes back to 
my my long-held frustrations with the NCAA and what it is as an institution and what it represents and the hypocrisy that comes along with the NCAA. If everybody's breaking the rules, then your rules are probably stupid. Um, or something about the financial framework of what you're doing is wrong. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, and, and when you consider where the NCAA is at this point with absolutely no barriers around the NIL at this point, this, and it started happening, you know, around our last show, this, these college presidents telling the NCAA to go kick rocks and we're just going to start rotating teams left and right out of, uh, out of conferences or whatever. And the NCAA sitting there with the finger in their nose going, oh, okay, just watching. It's, it's such the whole the whole NCAA is so garbage, and to sit there and go, oh well, we're going to really try to figure out the right thing to do in this Michigan situation. I, I, I'm telling you, I just think nothing was going to happen. I really, really believe that. So. I, I think I would just um, there's a bigger story that's happening here too, and where I think it actually lends some credence to what Adam's saying, which is that last week that there was a meeting between the leadership of the Big Ten and the SEC. And there was quite a bit of conversation about those two conferences breaking off from the NCAA within the next five years and forming a 48-team super conference and essentially crafting their own TV deal and breaking away from the NCAA. Um, you know, and I don't know how true that is, but it wouldn't shock me um, because that's where all the money is. That's where the, the big TV deal money are. And then you add a few of the other programs that are, you know, maybe you, you add the, you know, a few outliers th that you like and you roll with that. And so, and if you look at the, the programs, the major programs under investigation right now, Michigan, Tennessee, and Florida, like those, those two, those three teams play in those two conferences. So I don't know. I, I actually think that, Michigan may benefit from some of the delicate balance that the NCAA is going to try to pull to keep the SEC and the Big Ten in, because I think they're seriously considering breaking away if everything that's you know online even has some veracity of truth to it. That's a good point. Ah, yes, yes, indeed. No upheaval, nothing else like that. No politics, nothing like that going on in any of this stuff. No money behind closed doors. Oh no! Thank goodness. The purity of college sports must be maintained. All right, I'll stop now. So let's let's move away from that and the Michigan football season again. A great season for them, and let's talk about another great football season, and that's with the Detroit Lions. You'll not hear me say that often, um, but nevertheless, um, Lions had a great year, um, and. I, I think the number one thing that I, I want to say up front and the thing that I've been saying to people is, and, and Adam, you, in the in the pre-show notes, you put this in here, uh, we, we should talk about what people are saying versus reality, which is always the case in the sports world, I do suppose. But Lions fans are a really special level of deluded. I, I do not withdraw that opinion. <laughs> um, but when they lost that game, to the 49ers 
it was not the same old lions. And I, I know people came out and were like, oh, why'd they go for it on fourth down? Oh, you know, Reynolds dropped the passes. Oh, these things, these various things happened. And, oh, you know, the the ball that bounced off of Wilder's, you know, helmet. Uh, yes, that all has the hallmarks of the same old Lions. But here's the deal. That kind of stuff happens to every NFL team at some point or another. And it wasn't the Lions imploding because they are the Lions. It was just the way the cookie crumbled in that game. And they played a really, really good football game. Momentum shifted. They were on the road. They did the things that they had been doing all season long. There were some critical misplays and bad luck. And they lost. And that's okay. They, they had a really great season. And there's no reason to think they won't continue to do so. Um, and I think Dean Campbell is 100% validated. I think Holmes and staff are validated, I think, for what they've done. Because I also want to say, I mean, we, we, we put a lot out there into the universe after the draft saying, why on earth did they draft the way they did? Uh, and, and again, a lot of people had that opinion, but there was a lot of confusion. Like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you draft Gibbs here? Why would you do this? And and that. And I mean, if you look at the performance of this rookie class, I mean, just phenomenal. Um we haven't seen this from the Lions very close to in our entire lifetimes. I mean, there's some notable exceptions to this, but like, Adam, you and I were in high school the last time it was like this, and that's pretty frightening. So, it's been a few years since we were in high school. It has been a few years. It is. It has been a few years. So, um, it, 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 I don't know. I just wanted to throw all that into the universe of I think I think the way we look at the Lions has to shift a little bit. I mean, I suppose next year if they go out and lose 15 games, I'll be wrong, but I think we have to sh- shift the way we look at the Lions as a franchise now. Yeah, I thought the perception of last week's game was kind of it was very strange, but I thought the perception of this team, especially down the stretch, was very strange. Um, one, I, I think that uh, Dan Campbell got a lot of criticism for some of his uh, decisions, uh, um, you know, in that game. Um, my takeaway is if you're going to criticize that, you didn't watch this team at all this year. Um, 100%. Because um, I think the other thing, and, and guys, you, you, you know, Dan Campbell can't catch the ball. He can't not fumble the ball. He can't not, uh, you know, miss tackle. And, and, and whatever, right? I mean, those are all things that, that this particular roster did in that game. Uh, and they were able to contain, a, a, you know, a good number of those weaknesses uh, down the stretch. And had that game played out a, a different, let's say it played out like the first two playoff games where it was close in the fourth quarter, but in this particular case, San Francisco pulled away. That would have been, a, 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 that would have left a, a lot less of a worse taste in people's mouth Monday morning, right? I, I think that, that that's an honest perception. But uh, my my whole thing is is that when you are looking at that team, I think the job that uh, that that Dan, Dan Campbell had to take risk on this team because in the end, this team amazingly, as well as they played this season, still has gaping holes in it. Right? Uh, when I look at that defense, sure. they're terrible. I mean that that is a 
And the good news, though, is that they've been proved from last year without a whole lot more investment in it. I have mistakes, right? Branch was brought in. He was unbelievable, right? I mean, you know, but you think about that secondary, they're still terrible, right? They're just less terrible than they were last year, right? The linebackers are, they're, they're decent, right? They're, they're, they're decent. But again, maybe low 20s, uh, excuse me, uh, low, uh, high teens in terms of ranking in the NFL, right? They're they're very average, right? You get into that defensive line, you take away Aiden Hutchinson, they're not, I mean, that that is not very impressive. You know, Pascal, you know, kind of came on and, and, and uh, Levi uh, did, you know, uh, some, some some good play. But I think uh, but, uh, Lee, uh, Lee McNeil also, I think. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but, but the whole point being is, there are not enough guys in that defense, and 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 I will say this, Brad Holmes, you've done an incredible job drafting. You've done an incredible job. Well, oh my word, do we need to work on the free agent class? Uh, I, I and mind you, I think a big part of it is the free agent class the last couple of years has not been very good. But um, no, I, I mean that's my whole thing is that you know you made it to the championship game because of gambling Dan Campbell. Because and his coaching, his coaching decisions are what instilled the confidence that this team has, right? And that confidence, and then they, you know, we're able to go ahead and feed off of each other. The reality, though, is that when all is said and done, I mean, San Francisco is a much better player to player team versus the Lions. Where the advantage was is that I didn't know whether or not Kyle Shanahan would kind of do his usual playoff feeling in terms of coaching because he's not a very good playoff coach. Um, so, and, and and you know what? The last thing to your point, though, Justin, is I fully expect this team to be back <clears throat> in some sort of capacity like they were this year, right? Um, I, I expect them to contend for the division, even though it will be more challenging than it was this year. I expect them to win a playoff game or two, uh, and I expect them, you know, they're healthy and, and they add the right pieces. And, you know, and, and I think last thing, though, is that Dan Campbell probably is one of the most accountable. Like, he, he drives accountability on this team. And, I mean, he was in that post-game conference, uh, post-game press conference, Dustin. And what was remarkable was, I mean, as much as he was wounded, I mean, he was already talked about next year. But, oh well, we got a lot more changes that we got to do, and and actually, they got about forty percent of this roster that are going to be uh, free agents. Um, so there will be a lot of rotation again on this team. And they went out and they uh, got the defensive line coach from the uh, t- uh, t- um, from the Titans, um, and he's rated as maybe the best coach at that position in the league. Uh, so they're going to continue doing things, and uh, and and they don't have a problem doing big changes on this team. Um, they really don't. There's you know as good as you know as good as the, the camaraderie and that the chemistry is on the team. They're going to throw it all out. And put it, and then com- put it back together, almost like Humpty Dumpty, for the sakes. And it will be a very, very interesting watch to see what they can do. I don't ha- know if I've got much to add that's different. Um, I think my biggest point was going to be, and this is where a Lion fan, you know, there's a little bit of 
uh, no pun intended, pride here, I think, in thinking that the Lions matched up with the 49ers. They did not. They did not match up with the 49ers. And I think one of the things lost in the second half of that game is how badly the Lions got dominated at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, including their offensive line. Yes, including their vaunted offensive line. Got beat. They got beat. I mean, there was more than a couple highlights of George Kittle pancaking Aiden Hutchinson, right? I mean, like, the Niners beat the hell out of the Lions in the second half in every way that they could. And the Lions could have won that game, right? And they were in it, and that is all credit to the way that the team played. Dan Dan Gamble. Dan Campbell made one (laughs) unforgivable mistake, and that was at the end of the game. He didn't throw the ball. He had to burn a timeout, which limited their options. It didn't end up mattering. But that that was a horrific mistake. There's no just there that's there's no scenario or analytics where that isn't a huge mistake. Yep. Um to, to burn that timeout completely unnecessarily. Um other than that, you know, he he did what a you know anyone does in a significant underdog situation. You you keep swinging to for the knockout. You know? I think there was I think and this is something that's that's haunted him, is sometimes there's some inconsistencies in the way that he goes about that. You know, he doesn't always stay to that. I think at the end of the first half was one way that he didn't kind of keep to that mantra of going for that knockout. He could have ended the game potentially at the end of the first half with a touchdown there. Um, but how can you knock what they did? I mean, I you, you really can't, you know. And if we're, as Lions fans, if we're in a place where we're speculating on game decisions and an NFC championship and, you know, potentially questioning – you know, you know, some of the things Brad Holmes is doing in free agency, I you can't knock the end result, but there are many different ways to assemble a football team. He has done one way. There were other ways he could have drafted these past two years that would have assembled a different football team that I think was capable of doing just the same. So you can't deny the result, but I'm also not going to sit here and go, there weren't other choices to be made, like signing a running back in free agency to complement Montgomery rather than using the 12th pick. I mean, Jameer Gibbs could be a star. He seems like one. But there are different ways. To, but again, there are six NFL teams that have running backs that are starters that were picked in the first round, right? So, I mean, like, and and I don't think either of the, you know, and McCaffrey is one of the few examples of a guy with that kind of pedigree playing in the Super Bowl. But Isaiah, Isaiah Pacheco is a sixth rounder or a seventh rounder, right? So, I mean, many different ways to, to build a football team. So, but you can't deny the result. That's where the conversation is, that we're having a conversation about the Lions that we used to have about the Wings, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like, oh, did they make this? Was this the right play? Was that the right traffic? I mean, that is a or the Tigers, you know, in their heyday where you're, you know, you're debating the right signings or, the, you know, the right you know bullpen decisions. I mean, that is a world apart from from where this franchise has been historically. And so that and that is all owed to Brad Holmes and to, to Dan, Dan Campbell and, and Sheila Hamp as well. I mean, credit to all of them. Um. I, the only thing I will disagree with is that the the catch off the Lions helmet was absolutely same old Lions, and I just that's <laughs> I at, at that moment I just bowed my head and I'm like I just don't they can't they're not gonna like it just the the one thing for next season that's fair <laughs> I'm I'm hoping Ben Johnson can do a better job of calling like creating an offensive flow. I it just it drives I, and they're they're an incredible offense, but it just never seems like they're they're especially in the third quarter. There, there's no rhythm. I can't understand how you come out of the half and there's no rhythm in that team, in that offense. It just looks completely like it's foreign objects. I, I don't know. And I'm 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 and I I, I kind of wonder 
whether or not I, I would have been curious to see how he would be as head coach, but with his lack of feel for the game and the offense at times, I don't know. And, and I was really kind of surprised Aaron Glenn didn't get a head coaching job. I really, I really, the head, the whole head coaching, the hiring, I don't understand. I don't understand how Mike Rabel doesn't have a job. I, I, it's baffling that he does not have a job. That Dan Quinn and like, you know, and Mike McDonald, a fantastic defensive coordinator. I mean, he built the defense that Michigan, even though he wasn't there, like that was his defense uh, that he built for Michigan. Like, I, but the Dan Quinn or that Mike Vrabel doesn't have a job, I mean, is baffling to me. You know, I get why Belichick doesn't have a job. Like, that's, that's a, that's a personality and a, a whole other issue. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I, I mean, I actually... it's, it's really puzzling that, that he didn't get a job. Guys, I haven't watched a pregame show in 25 years. I have, I've seen absolutely no value. I would tell you I would watch a pregame show with Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to force him into a watch. suit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I would really, because there's some YouTube videos out there. Like he talks about Lawrence Taylor and him managing and, and being the defensive coordinator with Lawrence Taylor. Fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, literally. And you know he has the ability to be unbelievable on TV, and I expect him to be on TV. And and that's that that that's that. You know the other guy, and and when we're talking about this team, and and, and probably as you're looking at the draft, as you're looking at the players, as you're looking at the people that have been brought in. And I know this for a fact, just based on a little bit of inside knowledge I have uh, about the Lions organization, but. You can tell this team above any the, the guy that represents this team, and you can see his fingerprints all over is Chris Spielman. And no one talks about it, and it's probably what Chris does. Chris doesn't want anyone to talk about it. But when you think about Chris Spielman, you know, uh, you, you know, he played for Marley, you know, he played for the Lions, they went to uh Buffalo, and he played for Marley, Marv Levy. Um, and, and of course comes from Ohio State, and again, moving on, and then you know, here's a guy, probably it would have been Greg Olson, number one. It would have been Chris Spielman is the number one guy on Fox, probably. He gave that up, came here, basically out of the limelight. Bill Sparky, he gets like Holmes and, and Campbell be the front people and Sheila as well. But I, I will tell you, when 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 it happens, the, the, the I think one of the people you absolutely have to appreciate what they've done for this organization would be Chris Spielman. Yeah, they, they've got a philosophy that they've mainly held to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of their drafting. I think what's going to be the last my last word on it is I think what's going to be really interesting is how they use this cap space this year. I think Lions fan is really excited about how much they have, but I don't think they realize how much the bill is going to come due in a couple of years because yeah. Penny Sewell and Adrian and you know Hutchinson and some of these other guys, I mean, Goff's extension Goff. this year. But, yeah. you know, if you look a few years down the road at some of these younger guys, you know, Amon Ra at some point is going to get paid. Like, these guys are going to make some big money soon. And so it'll be interesting to see how they balance the need to follow up this season in what may actually be one of the tougher divisions in football next year versus being perceived as one of the weaker ones this year. It could be one of the tougher ones next year. And it'll be interesting to see how much of that cap space they deploy. Yep. One other um, thing I wanted to bring up, one other player I wanted to bring up was Jamison Williams. And I thought, because uh, we talked about him quite a bit, and is he actually going to amount to anything? 
he's probably not going to amount to anything. We kind of floated around in that area. I really enjoyed watching him as a playmaker and the fact that the Lions were starting to find ways to just put the ball in his hands. Um, I think that's a guy who has the potential. I mean, we've always known he's a guy who has the potential to do really cool things. Uh, but I got good vibes from the way they were using him down the stretch there and in the playoffs. So we'll see. Oh, I, I, I have all the expectation that next year he will be. I, I, and I think one of the things you're going to have to work on if you're Ben Johnson, you've got to figure out way more ways of getting the ball in his hands, no less than 10 times a game. Especially when you consider his output probably did really reflect. I think he had three touchdowns that call back on penalties this year or something like that. So um, uh, I I think in general, when you're looking at him, especially the way he was going over the middle and getting balls, I mean, like, you know, that touchdown he got at the end of the last game, and then he had a a few more catches that were going over the middle. I I expect that they're going to figure out how to get the ball in his hands at least 10 times a game. Uh, whether it be, uh, you know, however that is. Uh, and I, I think, again, you've got to do that because he is absolutely by far one of the – he's arguably the fastest player in the NFL. You've got to be able to figure out how you're going to get the ball in his hands. I'm obviously not a fan uh, and have not been a fan. Uh, you know, I don't – I guess I'll say this. Like, one, he's automatically your third option. Um. And Amon Ross St. Brown is absolutely incredible. Yeah. I believe Sam Laporte is a top five tight end in the NFL. Uh, you've got Jameer Gibbs. You've got David Montgomery. And you have a quarterback that doesn't have a big arm. I just don't understand the fundamentals of how he works here. Because you like to run the ball. You have two outstanding running backs. And you have two pass catchers better than him. And, and, and pass catchers better suited to Jared Goff's arm. Put Jamison Williams in Buffalo. I mean, he could be torching people left and right. Jared Goff does not have a big arm. He's never had a big arm. Like, I just I, I just think he is a fundamentally bad fit for this offense. Now, if they change his style of play and they move him down o- over the middle much more, a lot with some of the crossing routes and they use his speed and space. But if you're expecting to see him use the way Tyreek Hill is used, you're going to be disappointed. Because Jared Goff isn't the quarterback for it. Mm-hmm. And and a Tyreek Hill is the is the prototype, right? Probably the as the fastest guy in the NFL, probably still. Like Tyreek Hill is is going deep into the secondary. He's burning people over the top. Yep. And I just don't know if they've got the configuration of offense and the quarterback to really make the most use of him. And the other thing I'll say, and I just I can't get over it, is two picks later, Kyle Hamilton was drafted. He's the best safety in the NFL. Think of what Kyle Hamilton does on this team. Yeah, I, that's that's a fair point. And and you're right. Um, Williams is best suited for flies and posts. But if they can use him in the slot and can use him on crossing patterns, he will break away from oh, sure. yeah. Nichols and safeties who are that they will have to put a corner on him. I, I think the gamble is is, you know, do you trust him to be your number two wide receiver next year? You know? Mm-hmm. Josh Reynolds was arguably their number two wide receiver outside of Laporta was the number two, you know, lined up outside wide receiver, you know, or do you go out and get a Tyler Boyd or, you know, one of those, and they're not going to go out and get a Mike Evans or anything. I don't think, and they would be wrong to, but you know, do they go out and, and sign someone? Maybe that's a little bit of an upgrade from, from a Josh Reynolds, you know, especially after the way it ended, unfortunately, 
you know, and 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 then what does that mean for for Jamison Williams? Yeah, you know, I just don't, I just don't know that this is gonna be the place for him. Fair enough. And 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 I don't think that they were they knew that Jared Goff was gonna be their long term starter when they drafted him. That's also a fair point. Well, we'll have a lot to talk about also in the future. Um, Regarding the Lions, there's more things we can touch on. Obviously, we'll have the draft, free agency, all that other fun stuff coming up with the NFL. We've got Super Bowl next weekend, Chiefs, 49ers. Does anybody want to make any bold predictions for that game? Chiefs are going to win. You know, supporting the Niners have to knock them off. That's that was my whole thing, even with the Chiefs going to Baltimore. Chiefs are the, the pick until they're not. So, um, Hard, hard to argue. I, I think much like, you know, I think, again, the 49ers probably have a deeper roster on paper, but Mahomes is Mahomes. And if Travis Kelsey can give them a half of football like he gave the Chiefs against the Ravens, then all bets are off. And so I think the one thing the Chiefs, if the Chiefs get down early, I think it's trouble. But other than that, you know, I think the 49ers have probably played their worst football games in the playoffs. And I, I don't think they're going to play worse than they did against the Lions. And so I think, you know, it's going to be, a, it should be a heck of a game, but I would take the Chiefs if I had, if I had the bet. Me too. I, I just think Andy Reid versus Kyle Shanahan, you always, yeah. <laughs> Andy Reid with two weeks. No, sorry. I, I just. That's hard to argue. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bagging on Kyle Shanahan. I just, I just don't think he's the coach for this situation. That's all. I mean, he certainly embarrassed Nick Sirianni last year, so which everyone enjoyed, I guess, outside of Philly. <laughs> All right. Um, moving over to the other team that I think is the most interesting of the remaining uh, big Detroit area sports teams is the Tigers. And they've had a very interesting offseason thus far, uh, perhaps less active than what some of us were hoping for, uh, but also with some kind of notable changes. Um I think the Colt Keith deal is worth talking about. Um, and the roster is starting to coalesce and I don't think there's going to be any other major moves here. And so it's really going to be talking about, are we as a fan base? Okay. With waiting for the cavalry to arrive in terms of offensive players, because this is very much what the Tigers are relying on right now is they're like this season Col- well clearly Colt Keith has got a very good chance of making the opening day roster and and would, but not guaranteed and but they, they've got enough reinforcements coming that they felt comfortable enough to not go out and do something in free agency other than you know grabbing Mark Canha in the trade and and a very solid bat to throw into the lineup so any general thoughts to open this up with in, in regards to the offseason? Justin, my question to you, were, were you surprised by the, the this long-term contract that got signed with Cole Keith? Uh, I, I guess I was kind of, I was personally thrown off by it because I would have thought you would want at least a, a majorly seasoned under the belt to, to, you know, make that commitment, I guess. And it was, it was a very, interesting strategy that I wasn't really sure that this particular front office was capable of doing, to be honest with you. Well, and that, that's a really good point because I, 
I wasn't sure that this front office was going to be willing to commit that much guaranteed money, and which granted it was only twenty eight only twenty eight million. So in the grand scheme, that's really not much. And so if you really look at the theory behind this locking up the younger players, when the when the teams actually have control, it it is a long term strategy. You're playing the long game there, not the short game. But the way they structured this deal, they're going to get away cheaper on Colt Keith than they would if he had that year and had a really nice season and what have you. It would have cost more. Like if they try to lock up Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson now, it's going to cost them a lot more money um, to do it. And so I think the prevailing strategy is going to be, and these are numbers guys. Scott Harris is a numbers guy, you know, at heart. It's going to be cheaper for them to do these contracts. And you know what? A handful of these guys are going to flame out. Okay, no problem. Uh, we threw away $28 million on just to pick a name, Justin Henry Malloy. I'm I, not saying he's going to flame out, but you get my point is they give that contract to three or four people. One of them flames out, but they get the other two super cheap till they're 30 years old. I mean, that's a way to build a team that's going to stick around and be able to compete with the ridiculous money being thrown around on the coasts. I mean, the Dodgers payroll is is, is going to be nonsensical, although the way they structured the deal, the way Otani wanted the deal structured was extraordinarily intelligent. But, and by the way, after Otani's deal expires, Bonilla will still be getting checks um and look look it up it's true um, so I, I i am in favor of this type of contract i'm a little bit surprised that the tigers did it yes because i didn't know that they had the gumption to do so but on the whole it is consistent with strategy it seems like they are building so in that respect it didn't surprise me what is also interesting to me is the outside perception that this team could potentially challenge for the division, right? While we on this show, and I'll speak for myself specifically, but I think it goes, is that there's a little bit of frustration that if you're, if you think you're that close, then why are you not going out and spending a few bucks on, on you know, players with major league baseball track records? You know, you listen like, okay, Riley Green is not going to be, he's going to probably be more of a DH this year than he has been in the past because of the recovering from the injury. Well, my understanding, or at least I think it was John Morosi that reported it, was that, oh, well, because of that, the, the Tigers have made a front office decision not to pursue J.D. Martinez. Well, okay, I, I don't, I, I don't, the second half, a dozen, the other, really, that that's your reason. I, I, and and it's it's stuff like that. It's like I and with the perception, the outside perception that they're getting there. But in the meantime, what I don't believe to be a front office that's that's behaving in, in such a manner, I, I am a little frustrated as we go into the season. But at the same time, I'm an, I'm absolutely intrigued as to how this season will play out because it does seem that. Finally, there's some traction with the young guys, and, and we're going to potentially see a, a a a very competitive summer of baseball here. Yeah, I think you know, and I'm I'm starting to make peace with Scott Harris is going to do 
exactly and only what he plans to do. And he will not deviate from that. That's, that's become clear. Um, I think he, he's, he's done a nice job capitalizing on Colt Keith because you know, he was a fifth-round pick. And now he's getting $30 million, even if, you know, his legs fall off tomorrow. So good for good for him. Um, and, and I think probably good for the Tigers, too. I don't think it's a completely, in, you know, kind of impenetrable strategy. If Colt Keith becomes a dominant major league player, he will hold out or he will demand to be traded. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. Right. But, you know, that, that would be a file under good problem to have. Um. You know, I, I just to me where where I struggle again, I mentioned this with Dan Campbell, it's just the inconsistency of approach, right? So who so if you don't want to go out and get a JD Martinez or a Solar or whatever, why? Who's who's at bats you need to see? Veerling? Badu? I mean who who's at bats are we saving? You know most of your position, you know, Colt Keith, you know, hopefully if things go well, you slot him in at second. Thank you very much. So, okay, so he's taking care of, he's going to get his looks. You know that Green and Torkelson are going to get all their looks, you know, right? So who 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 exactly are we waiting for that it's not worth giving one guy a million, $12 million on a one-year deal? Who are we, who are we saving those at-bats for? A couple of 28-year-olds that, you know, are okay? Like, and so it's just inconsistent to me. You know, you go out and sign Jack Flaherty, talk about someone who could have limbs falling off. <laughs> you give him $14 million. He's a gamble. Maida's a couple years coming off of a major reconstructive surgery. That's a gamble. You're relying on them to chew up massive innings. I mean, you're not going to go out and get a couple of the DHs out there on a one-year deal that are going to get you 2080, basically anywhere they go. Why? Like, I just, it, it, it's inconsistent. I, I think, I think they think they solved that issue with Mark Canha because you have him and La- I, I know, I know. You have him in left, you have Meadows in center, you have Green in right, and you have Carpenter at the DH position, and Carpenter can move into the outfield, you know, when when he's not DHing, and you have Badu who can come off the bench, or Veerling who can play in the outfield as a bench guy. And I think that's what they're looking at is they don't want Carpenter in the field every day, and JD or Solaire, you're not gonna put them in the field. Oh. And and that's just what it is. Now, what that does and and somebody like Malloy is probably going to have to play in the outfield. Like he has just not taken to third base. So if you're going to bring him up, he's probably playing in the outfield. And I, and I think that's their answer right there. Now that doesn't answer the question on potentially some others, but, but I, I think, I think they decided the only place they were going to potentially sign somebody was probably third base. There was nobody out there they wanted. So screw it. We'll use the, you know, McKinstry, Veerling, Ibanez combo over there until somebody comes up from the minors who can fill it or they can make a trade or something like that. And I think that's that's their thought process right now. Um, and we'll see what happens. And, and that's uh, a really good, that's a logical explanation. And I, I get it. Um, and if you're... If you're Scott Harris and you if you're generally disinterested in trying to capitalize on the ability for a winning baseball season and a season where a division title is possible, if you're generally disinterested in that, all of that lack of urgency makes sense to me. If if you in your timeline you cannot have success before year three in your timeline because that's your timeline, then then so be it. But that's a lot of gambles, right? That is a lot of gambling to do. 
that, you know, a lot of guys are going to do what they did last year or, you know, that Mark Hanna is going to again get over 20 home runs as he has not done in, in, in six years. Like, okay, you know, fair enough, but. And, and to pile on to your point, Parker Meadows is by no means an established major league baseball player. So I can counter my own argument on this. I'm just, I, no, I I'm telling you where I think they're coming from. And I, fair. And, and to your point in all of this, or, or to back up your point in all of this, is you can never have too much talent. That is that is a great problem to have. Let these guys fight out for at bats. What damage are you doing? You know, short of these guys being at each other's throats and there's like the the too much talent. We're really far from too much talent when you actually have a legitimate issue. Um, and so I, I'm in agreement. They should have gone out and gotten another bat. Uh, and then you just you find a place for people to play. You make it work. You say, AJ, we pay you many millions of dollars. Make it work. Yeah. And 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 but here's here is what I see as the Achilles heel of Scott Harris is that he knows better. And I think this front office operates with a level of arrogance that we just know better. Erod, we're not even gonna offer him more money. We're going to literally offer him what the option was. What? What What? What planet are you people on? Right? I mean, yes, if Erod had gone out, I want $50 million a year. Okay. Well, see ya. And maybe it was still the right decision in the end, but it's the fact is that he was sticking to, this is what I peg your worth at, and we're not. And those idiots down in Arizona, what do they know? So Exactly. Exactly. And, what have and, they done recently? <laughs> right, exactly. They just went to the World Series, whatever. You know, they just used a former Tiger to start uh, Game 5 of the World Series. Uh, who, uh, yeah, anyway. So, I, I, th- this is what worries me about this club, is they're looking at this team going, oh, we, we already know. We, we already know what's going to happen. And no problem. We're we we got this. Here's the here's the crazy thing is that I'm still really excited about this season. Like there's a good. lot to look forward to. You know, there there's a lot to look forward to. This should be a good baseball team. I don't know if it's going to be a playoff caliber baseball team. It should be a good baseball team. Uh, I'll be disappointed if they don't finish above 500, mainly because of the strength of their division. If they were in the AL East. I might you know feel differently, but they should be above 500. They should be threatening whatever. Team, you know, probably the Twins because just uh, the, how dreadful the offseason was for the AL Central. Um, probably still the Twins, but they should be right there, and they should be good competitive baseball in August. And you know, I think the question with Harris is, you know, it, it, when the time and maybe Illich too, when the time comes, are they prepared to do what they need to do to get the ring? Because I think what he's trying to do is model some of this off of the Atlanta Braves, because the Braves. Mm-hmm actually are one of the teams that have done some of these Colt Keith deals, but the Braves are spending $200 million this year. Right? Like, you know, and, and that doesn't mean you need to spend that to win, right? The Diamondbacks, right? But, like, there's, they spend $200 million, and now they don't have any $40 million guys, and they don't have any Otanis, right? And so you can follow the blueprint that way. But at some point, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to pay to win in this league. 
period. On some level, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the one thing I want to go back to, and I think and I, I, it'll be, I think the most, one of the most interesting stories to really watch in this 2024 season with the Tigers, and Justin, you kind of alluded to them, it is, I, I think they have, I don't know how justified they are. They have some really big expectations of Carpenter. They really, they, uh, they really have big expectations for them. And I just, I'm one of those where I'm, I've got to really see it to believe it. Right. And, and, and that's where this, you know, that by itself, if he does not perform how they're expecting and, and how he did at stretches last year, I could really blow up in this team's face for, especially for a team that lacks backs in my estimation still. Yes. To me, that's the notion of the, that's exactly the notion of the gambling is they're doing that times five. Again, they're yeah. doing that with some of their free agent signings. They're doing that in their infield. And 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 I actually think their outfield has relative strength, which is Justin's point, one of the reasons why they did some of the things that or they didn't do, some of the things we wanted them to do. But they're, again, gambling on so many different fronts that it's like, well, a lot of things got to go really right. And that's yeah. why... Yeah, and that's why I think they just their thought is well, we 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 already know Carpenter is going to be successful. We know Meadows is going to be successful, or we know at least one of the two of them are going to be successful because I I do think they do build some padding into the lineup. Sure. That's why you go get both Flaherty and Maeda. But um, I I think they look at the numbers, and there are some reasons to think both of those guys will be successful in the major leagues when you look at some of the safer metrics behind it, and I think they look at that stuff and they go, oh, we got this. That's why Andy Banya has, has made it this far, because he's thirty, going to be 31 this season, but he's got really good safer metrics based on what Harris looks for. That's why he's still on the roster. I mean, that's why I could have told you Taylor Nevin was going to, Tyler Nevin was going to be the first guy they were going to deep six in the offseason, or you know, most recently in the offseason. But uh, sorry, I digress. No, and I, I, you know, you talk about the Sabre metrics, and I, I know exactly, that's exactly why they think Kerry Carpenter is going to be a really, they believe he will be a really good baseball player, right? Yeah, they do. But I, I just, God, I, I got to believe it. I got to see it to believe it. So the one word that we haven't talked about, well, I guess we've talked about it a little bit, it's just injuries. Sure. If Green or Tarkelson go down. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. 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 They still do not have depth. Yeah. They don't have depth uh, with the bats, I think. I mean, they, uh, even, agreed. Agreed. No, no, no. Good. The, good you, know, you know, the pitching, I, I, I just seen they every year you see, oh, I don't know about the pitching, but my gosh, it would well, be just would, fine. Unbelievable. Just fine. Yeah, I, I think there's a strong possibility Casey Mize starts the season in AAA. That's how deep our pitching is at this point. It would not surprise me at all if he were optioned to Toledo to pitch the first X number of games, getting him back into game shape in Toledo. Yeah. It's pretty good. So, and the Tigers have some real depth at Toledo this year, um, particularly in pitching. I mean, they're... It's pretty impressive. Um, and even offensively, I mean, they, they do have some guys who could 
do something pretty cool. You know, the Eddie's Leonard's of the world and what have you, but they could, right? I mean, ah, that's part of the fun, part of the fun. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this year, the, the thing I, I do know is much watch, must watch will absolutely be Terrence Scooble when he's pitching. I, mm-hmm. he, he has the potential to be an unbelievable star in this league, not just on this team, in this league. He, his stuff is straight up nasty. And if he can stay healthy, boy, I, and, and that might have been part of that, that comfort of letting Eduardo Rodriguez go is that they, but boy, wouldn't it be nice to have two left handers? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. So. It's not a part of the plan. The plan calls for 1.3 left-handers. <laughs> uh, it's a secret plan to fight inflation. So, all right. Um, so, anyway, we got spring training starting in a couple of weeks, uh, which is um, a little startling and exciting all at the same time uh tigers also expanded their coaching staff i think they're up to 11 coaches now so um we're we're getting into basketball territory we're gonna have one coach per player um but nevertheless they are approaching things the way baseball is going right now which is getting these expanded staffs really putting money into um a whole bunch of different areas and um, here's the other thing to look forward to. If you are a Tiger fan and you're at Comerica Park, the TV should now all work. So we got that going for us as well. So when you're standing in line to get your Coney dog, you'll be able to watch the game. Congratulations. All right. Um, anything else you guys wanted to touch on? Um, we've been at this for a bit. And uh, so I think we'll probably save the Patrick Kane discussion uh, for the next show, see if he gets traded, see if the Wings can get themselves, get that ship righted. There have been some real positives this season and some other not-so-great things. Uh, The defensive, well, we we, we can dive into that another time, and then the Pistons probably do not merit much of our attention. Uh, They certainly don't. Merit much of Tom Gorris's <laughs> attention. Can we talk about the how Troy Weaver has rehabilitated Al Avila's image? <laughs> like, Troy Weaver makes Al Avila look like a three-headed hydra of Red Auerbach, Scott Gary <laughs> Harry Krause. Like, think of every great general manager. That is the comparison point between Troy Weaver and Al Avila. <laughs> Well, I mean, potentially franchise saving news yesterday that Zach Levine, probably because he heard he was getting traded to the Pistons, decided to declare himself injured for the rest of the year. Could right. save the franchise, actually. Yeah. If they actually wise up and fire their owner, they can somehow fire themselves next year and start all over. So, yeah. Well, I think, I think in retrospect, Avila's legacy will become less tarnished as some of these young guys come up and they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe he drafted them. Yeah, Cole Keith, I suppose. Um, but but here's the real question. Troy Weaver versus Matt Millen. Like, what's the because Millen clearly is worse, um, in my mind, but but like how far apart are they? I it's hard to say. 
the reason I, I say that is because the, the lines were so much more fundamentally broken mm. historically as a franchise. But I would say at this point, there's not much of a margin. That's harsh. I think, I think, I think the crazy thing is, is McMillan got probably even more time than Weaver will get. Oh yeah. I think that, that's really what was so insane. Um, but Millen is, de- Millen, is, yeah. Millen is definitely worse. You know, and I, I just, I, with, the, with the Pistons, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to defend Troy Weaver, but Monty Williams in his coaching has been... He's lost his mind. He's absolutely, unbelievably atrocious. Lost his mind? And I, I you know... This team, from a talent perspective, is not as bad as their record. I can no. say that unequivocally. I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I just don't know if Monty Williams got the, the note that he's not like a youth basketball where he's got to get everyone in for 10 minutes. Like, are there are all these players' parents talking to him and they, they, he feels as if everyone's got to get 10 minutes? I don't know. I, I there, I don't know how to, if there's any veracity to any of this stuff, but there there are more than a few rumblings and conversations. Is that that Troy Weaver strongly opposed the hiring of Monty Williams, and that Monty Williams is essentially trying to make an argument about how Troy Weaver has constructed the roster, and is almost playing it in a certain kind of way. You know, think of the dramatization of Moneyball, which didn't necessarily happen in real life that way, but I mean like. The decision to play Killian Hayes the way he's played, like, bordering on negligence? Like, so there's something going on there. I don't think those two get along. I don't think those two are on the same page. Um, I, I just, Monty Williams is a good basketball coach. He's not worth the money they gave him, but he's a very good basketball coach. And I, it'll be very interesting to see what the offseason brings. Um, I mean, his track record is his track record. I mean, I just... <laughs> I, I just don't know what he's trying to accomplish. It, it it verges on absurdity. The way that he was using Killian Hayes versus Jaden Ivey, it borders on absurdity. Like you're intentionally trying to make a point about something. I don't know. Yes, and and I think that's it. But then there was something about, I guess, Monty Williams rejected a, they had a voice in a Killian Hayes trade and, and a, he, you know, whatever. I mean, Insane. it just, because in the end, this team, honestly, from a talent perspective, should be at least in the play-in. Part, no, right? they, no. They should, no, no way, I, see, no I, way, no. I just, I can't, the only reason I say that is with Ivy, Huganovic, and Cade, that's a pretty decent threesome, right? And, and they should be in with Durant. They should at least be able to get into the play-in, in my estimation. The reason I, why I don't I don't agree. I mean, those guys are incredibly like your point about the raw talent is right. The problem is the construction of the roster. They're not built to be successful in the NBA. The NBA operates off two things: pick and roll with with bigs that can shoot and three point shooting. They have neither of those things. Two of the three guys you named don't shoot above thirty five percent from three point. And Bogdanovich has all those things, can't play any defense. They don't have any shooters. And this is why the Thompson pick was so atrocious. He can't shoot. Is he a talented kid? Yes. If you put him as a wing on like a Golden State or something, he might actually help that team defensively. 
but he can't shoot the ball. Jalen Duran can't shoot the ball. Cunningham can't shoot the ball. Jaden Ivey can't shoot the ball. Killian Hayes can't shoot the ball. I'm just listing off their top 10 draft picks. Like, these guys can't shoot. You can't win in the NBA unless you can shoot. Like, period. You got to be able to shoot. They can't do it. Like, they, they just the, – the, and, and Isaiah Stewart can't shoot. Like, you've got to right. be able to – you've got to be able to push the envelope on the three-point line. Or you've got to have some kind of pick-and-roll game, right? you got to have a Jokic-Murray. you got to have a Dame and Giannis. Like, or you got to be able to shoot the lights off from three. And they can't do either. Like, Duran is only a challenge within three feet of the basket. That's just a very – and same with Stewart. That's just very limiting. What, I guess what I would say, there's so many bad teams in the NBA that they should be able to win. Oh, and, sure. and just, just get into that play-in, you know, area in the seven, you know, seven to ten. I, I, I think they have enough to do that. But the problem is, is that you're sitting there, you're playing Alex Burks twenty, uh, you know, minutes a game. Is that, that, yeah, right. He, he, he. He has games where he can shoot. You're absolutely correct. And then he. I'm not he saying I'm an Alex Burks fan, but I'm just saying, like. I, I know. And, and, and I'll, then take, I'll meet you in the middle. This should be a 25 to 30 win basketball team. Okay. And, and, and that's like, yeah, like, we're, we're, we're on the same page where they should be able to win. Uh, they have a couple win streaks, not because of them, but, but they're, again, when you compare to some of the awful teams that are out there, they should be able to win. Agreed. A few games here and there, right? Yeah, they should be able to yes. win against Charlotte. They have more like... talent than Charlotte and Washington, un- undeniably. Yes. They have more talent than those teams, undeniably. Yes. And a right. few more. Yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Does everybody feel better now? Yeah. No, I don't feel better. <laughs> Sorry. They um, can't shoot. You assemble the team. Clearly. And the Clearly, NBA we've built around three pointing, and you can't shoot. It, it, it's been a good year to not have a local sports network. It's like, you know, there's a disagreement between me and my television provider, and uh, I'm, I'm, it's worked out really well. It's worked out really well. I do look forward to hopefully uh, their uh, Amazon uh, giving me the uh, you know local sports network by the time Tiger season comes along. I am very hopeful that that will be the case. And- Please, because uh, MLB.com can go jump in the lake. Uh, MLB TV, uh, yeah, bite me. Okay. And um, yeah, that's the nicest possible thing I can say. With that said, I think that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium for Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. My name's Justin Lee. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>